Well, good evening. We're glad you tuned in to the broadcast tonight from Whitfield Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Wayne Cofill, and I'm so excited about having Dr. Dan Reed preach for us uh, this night on revival. This is a recording of his revival in 2018 at our church. And last year in October, God called Dr. Dan Reed home, but he, he still lives on in his messages and his, and his, his family and, and all the people that he's touched. So I hope that you'll enjoy this message tonight on revival from Dr. Dan Reed. Well, it's our privilege to have Dr. Reed preach again. And uh, I told him today, he's apologized because we didn't have much time to fellowship. And I told him, I said, we'll fellowship later. Amen. You just rest up and make sure that you have the energy and strength to preach one more message for us. I know he's got many more messages for a lot of churches, and uh, I know he's going to be with Brother Gary Sunday, I believe it is, and um, I just appreciate him. I appreciate a man in his, in, his, in his book. I read the whole chapter last night. I'm not going to do that again. Uh, Obtaining Promises, the book, and the chapter is, I'm not gone yet, and he talked about all those heart attacks and all those um, times the heart failed and they brought revived the heart back, and I just, I'm just glad that here's a man <clears throat> that wants to finish right. And I think he wants you to finish right. And I thank God that he's poured his life into us today, uh, this week. And uh, it's been such a great revival. Best attended revival we've ever had. Best spirit we've ever had in a revival. Just a blessing how God has, has put us together this week uh, for one common purpose, and that's to exalt his precious name and to see souls saved. Amen. Brother Dan, you come preach. God bless you. My joy to be here again, and we have had a wonderful spirit in this meeting, Amen. and uh, I thank the Lord for the invitation, the honor to be with your pastor and with you all. It's been my joy and my privilege to be a part of this. I appreciate the preparation that's gone in for this meeting. When a meeting is prepared for, you can tell it when you go sure. into it, and uh, from the very first meeting, I could tell that things were already happening. Uh, when we came in the building here. I appreciate Brother Mark driving me these Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. And I looked over at the speedometer tonight, and I was worried about us getting here because he was moving along. <laughs> and uh, and I, I thought about this little story. I heard a fellow got stopped for speeding, and an officer said, can I see your driver's license? And, the driver said, I don't have one. I had it suspended when I got my fifth DUI. <laughs> the officer said, may I see the owner's card for this vehicle? The driver said, it's not my car. I stole it. <laughs> officer said, the car's stolen? The driver said, that's right. Come to think of it, uh, I think I saw the owner's card in the glove box when I was putting my gun in there. <laughs> officer said, there's a gun in the glove box? He said, yes, sir, that's where I put it after I shot and killed this lady who owns this car, and I stuffed her in the truck, trunk. Officer said, there's a body in the trunk? Driver said, yes, sir. When he heard all that, he called his captain, and uh, without any further ado, the car was quickly surrounded by police cars, and the captain approached the driver. The captain said, sir, can I see your license? Driver said, sure, here it is. It was valid. Captain said, whose car is this? The driver said, it's mine, officer. Here's the owner's car. The driver owned the car. 
Captain said, could you slowly open your glove box so I can see if there's a gun in there? Driver said, yes, sir, but there's no gun in it. Sure enough, there was nothing in the glove box. Captain said, would you mind opening your trunk? I was told you said there was a body in it. Driver said, no problem. So we opened the trunk, no body. Captain said, I don't understand it. The officer who stopped you said you told him you didn't have a license, you stole the car, you had a gun in the glove box, and there was a dead body in the trunk. The driver said, yeah, I bet he told you I was speeding too. <laughs> He set that driver up, didn't he, or that officer up? Now, Mark, I could just see you doing that. I've sure enjoyed being with you. It's a good crowd tonight on a Wednesday night of revival. Just tremendous crowd, and I thank you for being there. I want you to turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. Thank you for your prayers this week. 1 Peter chapter 2. And let me begin reading in verse number 4. To whom coming, he just spoken about, Peter had about these people had longed for the Word of God. They tasted that the Lord was gracious. They knew the Lord. And he said, to whom coming, speaking of coming to the Lord, as unto a living stone, Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it's contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious." But unto them which did be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. If you're in the habit of underlining in your Bible, verse 7 is my text. Unto you therefore which believe, he's precious. Amen. And I'm going to speak to you tonight on he is precious. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the week. Thank you for meeting with us. And Spirit of God, we pray you'd fall fresh on us and do a work in us. Exalt the Lord Jesus as is your specialty. In your name we ask it. Amen and amen. Our passage of Scripture, you find several terms for the Lord Jesus. In verse 4, he's called a living stone. Somewhat of a rough term, you might think. Uh, but to the Jews who placed a lot of confidence in their temple, in that stone structure, uh, it was a precious, it was a good term, a proper term. A stone in Scripture speaks of strength, of duration, of security. He's the living stone by which we find not just a temporal religion, but we find in him a living, eternal life. And then in verse 6, he's called the chief cornerstone. Christians are called living stones that make up the new building of the church. But he's the chief cornerstone. Church is not a dead building. It's a living organism. 
with Christians as the living body parts and Christ as the living head, the chief cornerstone. Colossians says He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. And then in verse 4 it says He's chosen of God. That simply means that before the foundation of the world, God chose the Lord Jesus Christ. He was foreordained from the beginning of the world to become a man and to die for the sins of the world. Peter said again in 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world what was manifest in these last times for you. Revelation 13.8 says he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And Peter said in Acts 4.23 in that message at Pentecost or a little later than Pentecost, him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He's the living stone. He's the cornerstone. He's chosen of God and elect. But there's something else that's said of him here. He's disallowed indeed of men. Now that's put in contradistinction to chosen of God. He was chosen of God, but he was disallowed of men. That says something about men, doesn't it? It says something that men don't have the same, the same viewpoint that God does. He was chosen of God, but he was disallowed indeed of men, and men rejected him. It says a whole lot about men. What God chose, they rejected. What God was pleased with, they were displeased with. What God said, this is my beloved son about, and whom he said that about, they said he was a son of Belial. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him, Scripture says. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He came to his own and his own received him not. But Peter uses a term here for Christ three different times. In three different verses, he says he's precious. In verse number three, or in verse number four, it says he's precious. Again, in verse number six, he is precious. And then in verse seven, it qualifies it and says, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. Charles Spurgeon this was his first message, his first text. As a 16-year-old boy, somebody asked him to go out with him to a little church, and uh, Spurgeon thought he was accompanying the man to preach. But as they traveled along towards the little church, the man said, I hope you'll preach well tonight. Spurgeon said, oh, I'm not preaching. I've never preached in my life. I don't know how to preach. I just got saved. The man said, well, I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm not going to preach. Somebody's going to have to preach to these people. And they got there, sure enough, there was no preacher. Spurgeon said, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to take a text, but a text came to my mind. He is precious. He's precious. And I'd just gotten saved. He was precious. I didn't know a lot of doctrine, he said. I didn't know a lot of things. But I knew the Lord was precious to me. 
I want to tell you, I think we get away sometimes in the, after the years that we're saved and we get all caught up in doctrine and in church and in terminology and in splitting hairs and we get over the fact that he's precious to us. That when we got saved, we didn't know a lot, but we knew the Lord was precious to us. Unto you therefore which believe, he's precious. I want to give you three truths out of this text. Number one, there's a restriction on this. There's a restriction. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. You see, the text doesn't say he's precious to everybody. In fact, Peter makes it clear that he's the stone over which most people stumble. He's the one who's offensive to a depraved and disobedient and gainsaying world. Jesus Christ is either who he said he was. He's either God or very God the incarnate Christ, the Word made flesh, or I speak reverently, He's the biggest imposter that ever came to this world. He is either who He said He was. Somebody said He was either liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. He either lied about who He was, He was deceived, a lunatic about who He was, deceived Himself, or He was the Lord Jesus Christ. And I choose to believe He is the Lord. He's not precious. He's not precious to those who love their sin. He's not precious to those who still love darkness. He's not precious to those who love their own way. He's not precious to those who find the truth in all religions. But He's precious to those who believe. Being precious to those who believe doesn't mean either that He's precious to those who believe anything. It does not mean he's precious to those who believe one thing as well as another. They can take it or leave it. You see, it doesn't mean he's precious to those who believe and believe in belief. They've got some kind of nebulous, non-specific, anything goes kind of faith. Not talking about that at all. Actually, there's three types of people when it comes to believing. There's the disbelievers. There's the unbelievers, and then there's the believers. The disbeliever doesn't even believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. He may be an agnostic, may be an atheist. He may believe that Jesus Christ is the same in his time as Muhammad was in his time. He may, as some believe, that there's messiahs for all different times. He may believe that Jesus is a form of God, and there's other forms of God. He may, like the Hindus, believe in many gods, or he may, he may, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, believe that he is just a God, an emanation before God. He may not believe that he's Jehovah God, a God of very God. That's a disbeliever. He doesn't believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. And then there's the unbeliever. The unbeliever believes what the Bible says about Christ. He may even have some love for God, the Bible. He may admire and even acknowledge all the tenets of Christianity. John 2.23 says many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus didn't commit himself to them. By the word, the word commit and the word believe are the same word in the Greek. They believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them because he knew what was in them. They were unbelievers, you see. They had a form of godliness, but not the power. There was not true belief there. But the unbeliever lacks what, 
what the uh, old Lutherans used to call affiance. Affiance. Trust. The Old Testament word for belief is trust, used 152 times in the Old Testament. He's never joined himself to the truth. He knows it in his head. He knows how to say all the right things, but he's never joined himself to it. Hebrews talks about that. We are not of them which believe. We are not of them which draw back unto the perdition of the soul, but unto them that believe to the saving of the soul. Do you know you can believe and not believe to the saving of the soul? Yes, the unbeliever, you see. And then there's the believer. The believer says, God said it, I believe it, and I'm going to trust it. I'm going to stake my entire life on it. I believe it. I'm putting affiance in it. I'm letting go and letting God have it. I believe that God actually, it's like an airplane. The disbeliever's never seen an airplane and doesn't believe there is one. He doesn't believe man can fly. The unbeliever believes he can fly, but he ain't getting in one. But the believer is a fellow who knows it'll fly. He's seen people fly up in it, and he's getting on and flying on it. That's what a believer is. And to you that believe, not just to anybody, but to you that believe like that, he's precious. He's precious. I never was a disbeliever, but I once was an unbeliever. But now for 45 years, I've been a believer. And he's precious to me. He's precious. There are several gradations of belief in Scripture, several degrees. There's those who believe in Jesus and they may or may not be saved. And then there are those who believe on Jesus or upon Jesus. Scripture says, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. There's those who believe even above that, who believe Him. I know whom I have believed. Not what I believe. I know whom I have believed. There's a lot of people saved, but they hadn't yet learned how to believe Him. How to hear Him. Like the Samaritan woman who went into the city and told all those people in the city about them, about Him. And they believed because of the saying of the woman. But then they came out to see Jesus. And John 4.42 says, Now we believe. Not because of thy saying. For we've heard Him ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Paul said when he was describing all those people that saw Him after the resurrection, he said, He was seen of me also. He was seen of me. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's a wonderful day in your life when He's seen for you yourself. When you hear Him, you yourself, your voice, He becomes precious to you. That's those to whom Peter speaks here. They know Him personally. They read the Bible, and He speaks behind the Bible. Beyond the sacred page, we seek Thee, Lord. They listen to preaching and he speaks through the preaching, but separate from the preacher. He's the voice behind the words, you see. There's all the difference in the world in reading a book when you don't know the author and reading a book when you know the author. All the difference in the world. There's a restriction here. I'm afraid he's not precious to everybody. But to you, therefore, which believe, he's precious. And then there's some reasons he's precious. 
There are some reasons he's precious. For something to be precious, it has to have two qualities. For it to be a precious metal, it has to two qualities. For it to be a precious jewel, it has to have two qualities. Number one, it has to be rare. We talk about precious gems or precious metals. One of the reasons they're precious is that they're rare. They're not found everywhere. They're not found in great quantities. They're rare. Is Jesus rare? Search the world over. Look over the universe. Search heaven. There's none like him. He's not only rare, he's one of a kind. He's the only begotten son of God. I'm telling you, he's rare. He's precious because he's rare. Hebrews 1.3 says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image, that means he's the exact duplicate of God the Father, the express image of, uh, of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 5 of that same chapter says, to which of the angels said he at any time? Thou art my son. In Hebrews 1 verse 7 on down, he quotes the Old Testament and he says the angels are, God says to the angels, you're my spirits, you're my ministers. But then in verse 8 he says, but unto the son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Is he rare? Find another who's virgin born. Find another conceived of the Holy Spirit of God. Is he rare? Find another who lived a life without sin. Find another who can say, which of you convinceth me of sin? Find another who never spake a wrong word, never did a sinful deed, never lived a selfish moment, not one time. Find another like that. I'm telling you, he's rare. He's precious because he is rare. Find another who can ever be described as altogether lovely. I know some people that have lovely traits. I know a lot of people that have lovely traits. But they also have some unlovely traits. And uh, I know men from a distance who seem almost impeccable, but get up close. Closer to any man you ever get, the more flaws you find. You see that? Do you understand that? The more close you get to anybody, the more flaws you're going to find. Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more lovely you find him. He's not just lovely, he's altogether lovely. You can't find a flaw in him. He wasn't just lovely in his life, he was lovely in his death. He wasn't just lovely in his words, he was lovely in his deeds. He was not only lovely in his actions, he was lovely in his attitudes. He's altogether lovely. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. The centurion watched him die and said, surely this was the Son of God. Rare? Find another one like him. Is he rare? Find another of whom God spoke from heaven. Said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Find another who can speak peace to the wind and the seas. Find another who can heal the sick and raise the dead and give others the power to do it too. 
Is it rare to find another who cannot just who did not have to die for his own sins, but he died for the sins of the entire world. For God made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Find another who by one offering perfected forever them that are sanctified. Find another who can get up from the grave on the third day of his own volition. Muhammad is dead. And he stayed dead, you see. Buddha's a dead God. All the other messiahs are, God, are dead. But up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. There's not another like him. He's precious because he's rare. My Savior is one of a kind. He's the unique son of God. Is he rare? Find another priest who can stand at the right hand of the Father and plead for you, and feel what you feel, and know what you know. Find another one who can be like that. Scripture says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Is he rare? Find another who's building you a mansion on the other side and going to come personally and take you to it. Find another one like that. In Revelation 5, John saw God holding the scroll written on both sides. It was the title deed to the entire world. He saw a strong angel proclaiming, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And John said in Revelation, no man was found in heaven or earth or under the earth able to open that book. And he began to weep. And one of the elders came to John and said, don't weep. Don't weep, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And Jesus came and opened the book and unsealed the book, you see. And when he did, the church fell down and began to worship and the Bible says they sang a new song saying thou art worthy to open the seals thereof and to redeem us to God from thy, from thy blood from every tongue and people and nation. Find me another one like that. You want to know why he's precious to those of us who believe? Because there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He'll guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. He's rare. He's precious because he's rare. He's the lily of the valley and the bright morning star. And then for something to be precious, it must not only have the quality of rarity, it has to have intrinsic value. Many things are rare. There are certain elements that we've discovered, that scientists have discovered that are very rare, but they have no intrinsic value. They're not good for anything that we know of. For something to be, to be precious, a precious stone or a precious gem or anything, it has to have intrinsic value. 
People don't value things nor call them precious just because they're rare. Some minerals are rare. Gold and diamonds are rare, but they're valuable. People want them. People desire them. They're good for certain things. Is our Lord valuable to his people? Hebrews says, consider how great this man was. Consider, what a question. Consider how great this man was. Is he valuable? The one who come to seek came to seek and to save that which was lost? The one who was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor and sent to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised? Is he valuable? Consider how great this man was. He was all God and yet he was all man. He was 100% God and 100% man. He was as much God as, he, as if he were not man and as much man as if he were not God. Figure that one out. Paul said to Timothy, that's the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. The Word, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, John said, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Find another who can say, I and my Father are one, and still say, I thirst. Find another who can say, He that seeth me, seeth him that sent me, and yet still hunger. Find another who can stand beside a grave and weep and turn around and say, Lazarus, come forth. Find another one quite like that. Find another with such intrinsic value as Jesus. How valuable is he? He's so valuable that without him, you'll go to hell. He's so valuable that without Him, we have no promise of tomorrow. How valuable is He? Without Him, the sun wouldn't hold its place. Things would fall apart. Because Colossians says, in Him, all things consist. He's not some deistic God that made the world and let it function on its own. No, He made the world and He holds it together. He watches after every deed and every thought and every person. He knows when the hair of our head falls. He knows every detail of it. He's still very much involved in His world. Find another with such intrinsic value as Him. How valuable. Without Him, prayer is useless. Without Him, the grave is hopeless. Without Him, the Bible's dead. Without Him, heaven has no meaning. Without Him, life becomes death. In fact, without Him, Scripture says, I can do nothing. Without Him, the branches have no vine. Without Him, darkness has no light. Death has no resurrection. Sin has no remedy. Life has no meaning. Music has no harmony. Art has no form. Literature has no theme. History has no purpose. Night has no... You know what ties history together? Jesus Christ ties history together. To those of us who believe, He's precious because He's both rare and He's valuable. Clyde Box, who just passed away a few months ago, Clyde Box wrote, Destroy that glorious name of Christ. Of him who was so sacrificed. For man because he could not pay the price to take his sin away. 
The birds would sing it sweetly then until it's written once again on every heart of man on earth because of its eternal worth. Destroy that name that God has given, you'd have to remove the gates of heaven, the streets, the buildings, every stone, for on them is that name alone. But still in heaven that name would be, for Jesus is the light, you see. Destroy that name that's over all, before that name each man must fall. Tear out each verse of every page of the greatest book of every age and every language found on earth of every tongue of every birth. But then some stone in some strange land would rise and shout, the Son of Man. Destroy that name, it can't be, until each star in heaven flee. Until each planet is a race that was by him so rightly placed. And even then the universe would speak of him who cured the curse. For by his name so sweet, so pure, our life on earth we can endure. Until one day in heaven we find his name still stands. It's yours, it's mine. To you therefore which believe, he's precious. Why is he so precious? Because he's my refuge. Because he's my fortress. Because he's my friend that sticks closer than a brother. Because when I'm lonely, He's there. When I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death three different times, He's there. Why is He precious? Because He never leaves us, nor forsakes us. No matter what happens, no matter whoever else may not be there for you, He's always there. Always there. He has the tongue of the learned to know how to speak a word in season to him that's weary. He's precious because He's faithful. He's precious because as they sang tonight, He's faithful and true. He's there when no one else is. He's a very present help in the time of trouble. There's a restriction on He is precious. Unto you therefore which believe. There's also some reasons why He's precious. Because He's rare. And because He's valuable. But third, I want to show you the results. How do you know He's precious? How do you know He's precious to you? Or is He really precious to you? Is there something aesthetic here? Like the admiration we have for a beautiful music? Or for beautiful art, well done art? Is there some, something of aesthetic value, of artistic value? Is it possible we felt we've fallen in love with the things that surround Jesus? with church work and church things, but not Jesus? How do I know if He's precious to me? Three ways. Number one, I know by the desire that I have for His Word. It's not a creed that draws me back here every morning. It's not just the written Word that draws me back. It's not the doctrine that I love that draws me back. It's the presence of a person behind it. It's Christ in His Word, you see. It's not doctrine or creed. Those things get stale. They get dry. But when there's a person that speaks to you out of the Word, it's like a letter that's written from someone you love. 
I, I, don't, I don't know if y'all like Facebook. I like it. <laughs> the main thing I like about it is I like to see my grandkids' pictures. And sometimes they'll put videos on there, Brother Wayne. And I find myself going back and going back. and I like to see it. I love it. That's the people I love. And I find myself going to the Word because He speaks to me over and over and over and over again. He speaks behind the Word, behind the sacred page. We seek Thee, Lord. It's not the antiquity of the Word that I love, not the wisdom of the Word even, but it's the fact that the person of Jesus Christ wrote it to me. It's a personal letter that I love to read. I sense my Lord in the book. I read this. I see my Lord in the Bible whenever I chance to look. He's the theme of the Bible, the center and heart of the book. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Lily Fair. Whenever I open the Bible, the Lord of the Bible's there. He in the book's beginning gave to the earth its form. He's the ark of safety that bears the brunt of the storm. He's the burning bush of the desert, the budding of Aaron's rod. Whenever I open the Bible, I see the Son of God, the ram upon Mount Moriah, the ladder from earth to sky, the scarlet cord in the window, the serpent lifted high. He's the smitten rock of the desert. The shepherd with staff and crook. Whenever I open the Bible, I see my Lord in the book. He's the seed of the woman. The Savior, virgin born. He's the son of David whom men rejected with scorn. The Lord of eternal glory whom John the Apostle saw. The light of the celestial city, the Lamb without spot or flaw the bridegroom coming at midnight for whom his people look. Whenever I open the Bible, I see my Lord in the book. How can you say that Jesus is precious to you if this love letter that he wrote you is not precious to you? If you don't love going to it, if you don't love the preached word, if you don't love the Bible itself, pray tell me why anyone to whom Jesus is precious could ever stay out of the book. That's one way you know he's precious. Second of all, you know he's precious when you have a love for his bride. When you have a love for his church. He loved the church and he gave himself for it. His church isn't perfect. Not yet. It's going to be one day. He's going to take out all the spots and the wrinkles. But it's his body. It's his bride. It's in the church that I find the people that truly love Him. It's here that I sing the songs of Him and hear the messages that tell me His story. I find people who even have been saved for many, many years who can sing, I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. It's in the church that He says is the pillar and ground of the truth. In the church, I find the savor of life unto life. It's the church that reached me for Christ. It was the church that baptized me. It was the church that calls to remembrance and the Lord's Supper, the sweet name of our Savior. It's in the church that trained me for Jesus. It's the church that keeps me on fire for Jesus. 
It's the church that sends missionaries for Jesus. The only group of people that's going to welcome him when he comes is the church. How could you love Jesus and not love the church? I'll never understand it. Jesus loves his church. He died alone for the church. He didn't die for the little league. He didn't die for the Lions Club or the Boy Scouts. He didn't die for the Christian school or the any school. He died for the church. And we ought to love the church above any other institution. I decided many years ago, I'm getting out of everything but a local church. This is what Jesus loved. This is what I'm going to love for all of my life. He loved the church. And you know you love the Lord. You know He's precious to you when you love the church. You can't help but love the Bible if you love Him. You can't help but love the church if you love Him. Last of all, you can't help but love and long for heaven if you love Him. You love heaven. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. I got a choice to make, he said. And I'm having a hard time making that choice. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful. He said, I might have to stay just for you. But he said, I'd rather be in heaven. I'd rather be with Christ. It's far better. Far better than being on this earth. Far better than what, Paul? What are you looking for? The streets of gold? No. That'll get old after a while. I can get bored with streets of gold. What is it? The gates of pearl? Are you looking for those? No, I'll get tired of looking at that after a while. What's far better is Him. It's Him, you see. Oh yeah, we'll meet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and there'll be a blessed reunion of all our wonderful loved ones that have gone on before. But that's not the center of heaven. The center of heaven is He who is precious to us is there. Heaven is more than all the things that will be involved in it. Paul said, I want to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Far better even than looking at him through a glass darkly. Which is our view now. Fanny Crosby wrote only faintly, now I see him. With this darkling veil between. But a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Face to face I shall behold him. Far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all His glory, I shall see Him by and by. The old Moody said to Fanny Crosby, Miss Crosby, she was blind. He said, and she wrote all those songs. He said, Miss Crosby, I want to pray that God will open your eyes, that you'll be able to see. And she said, Oh, Mr. Moody, don't pray that. I want the first person I see to be my Savior. So precious is Jesus, my Savior, my King. His praise all the day long with rapture I sing.
to him in my weakness for strength I can cling. For he is so precious to me. If you know it, sing it with me. For he is so precious to me. For he is so precious to me. Tis heaven below my Redeemer. For he is so precious to me. And one day this old voice will be in full swing. And one day this old body will be made brand new. And one day I'll see him. I've talked about him, Brother Randy, for 45 years. I've met with him in the mornings. I've loved him. And one day I'll see him face to face. What a day. How can we, to whom he's precious, not love heaven? I was at the doctor the other day. They found some little something and they asked a doctor to come in. Then they asked a second doctor. The tech looked scared. I said to the tech, I'd already determined she was a Christian. I said to the tech, don't worry. You can't scare me with heaven. Can't scare me with heaven. Our Heavenly Father, how we love Thee tonight. How we thank You, dear Lord, for the name and the person and the presence of our Savior. Help us to love Him more that He may be even more precious to us. Keep us very close to Thee. Why would we ever want to hurt You by sinning? Why would we ever want to leave You by backsliding? Oh God, keep us close, we pray. And do for us what we can't do for ourselves. In Your name I ask it. Well, I hope you enjoyed the message tonight by Dr. Dan Reed. That was our spring revival in 2018. And if there's ever been a preacher that uh, lives what he preaches, it's Dr. Dan Reed. And I hope that this message really blessed your heart, stirred your soul. Hope you made a decision in your heart to seek God for revival in this time that we need God so desperately. So thanks for tuning in and hope that you'll tune in tomorrow night.